An American author once wrote this. The closing of a letter is often as important as its opening. It is a chance to leave a lasting impression, to sum up your thoughts, and to express your hopes for the future. Indeed, how one closes a letter or conversation. Indeed, how one closes a letter or conversation can speak volumes into the sincerity and thoughtfulness of the speaker. For it has the opportunity to leave the recipient encouraged and ready to apply that encouragement in their lives for the better. We can see the importance of a sincere closing in most of the epistles found in the New Testament, and the one we're going through today is no different. The writers use the opportunity to encourage local churches going through difficult circumstances and to instruct young and mature Christians to live faithful lives in Christ. We are coming up to the end of our summer sermon series in 1 Thessalonians, entitled Power in Life, Hope in Death. 1 Thessalonians is a, a letter of love from the Apostle Paul to a young church that, were very, that was very dear to his heart. Today we will look at the first part of Paul's closing to that congregation, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 to 22. If you have a, a Bible located near the seat that we've provided, I invite you to turn to page 988 as we go through the passage. If you don't have a Bible near you, as usual, we will project it on the screen behind me so you can look on from there. And additionally, as we've mentioned numerous times on previous Sundays, if you don't have a Bible of your own, if perhaps you don't have one at home, we invite you. There are Bibles located in the lobby. Please take one as a gift from us. I'll be reading the entirety of the passage aloud. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting with verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain 
from every form of evil. In today's passage, we see grace-fueled encouragement for the believer's public and private life. To better understand the text, I'm going to cover two sets of principles that we see here in this passage. The first, in Christ, we find the encouragement to live peacefully with all people. And second, in Christ, we find encouragement to live faithfully in all circumstances. Again, we find encouragement to live peacefully with all people. And we find encouragement to live faithfully in all circumstances. First, encouragement to live peacefully. As the Apostle Paul begins his closing, he provides almost a summary of what he talked about throughout most of this letter. He provides principles for the church to follow, both in their private lives, their lives inside the community of faith, but also outside the community of faith as well. These are applications as they await the return of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. These are not things that they can do to earn their salvation. Instead, these are activities they should engage in as a result of being saved by the grace of God. And Paul starts these principles by instructing the Thessalonian church on how to treat their leaders. It's not clear from the text what event or events prompted this mentioning of, of this instruction, but Paul reminds the church to respect and esteem those God has given the responsibility to teach and lead their church. The Thessalonian leaders are not just random individuals with fancy church titles. These are individuals who, by grace, have proven themselves by the example they have led of Christians who have walked faithfully in Christ. These were likely be the Christians Paul was thinking about when he wrote previously in this letter that they became imitators of the apostles. These are likely leaders like Jason, who we read in Acts was, was arrested by the city authorities for defending, supporting Paul's ministry. Or Aristarchus, who at one point in Acts we read was dragged out and into the amphitheater by an angry mob ready to kill him. If it wasn't for Paul who, who jumped in at the right time. Or Secundus, who we read in Acts as well, he supported Paul's ministry as he was going on missionary journeys with him. These are individuals who prove themselves, their, their faithful walk in Christ, their obedience to the ministry of the gospel. These are men and likely others in the church who were set with the task of caring for this young church 
of nurturing it in the absence of Paul. Now, whether from being arrested or perhaps later on from supporting Paul, who who was arrested, the role of elder in this young church was a challenging one. The word labor that we see here in verse 12 is not a passive verb. These leaders, they actively engaged with the Christians in Thessalonica. They, they, they actively showed concern for them when they were in need, and yes, corrected them when that time came as well. And because of God's hand moving through their action, the church was growing in Christ. They were growing in number. So Paul encourages the church members to view the work of their leaders as highly valuable and to support their faithful efforts. If you were here or heard the sermon uh, a few Sundays ago, Pastor Dane asked a very sincere and thoughtful question to this church. He asked, Beacon, do you know that your pastors love you? I'm going to ask a similar question today. Beacon, do your pastors know that you love them? Do you show concern and care for them? Do you show that, that you understand and appreciate the God-given responsibility that they have to lead this church? Now, being an elder of a local congregation is not an easy one. The pastor's life is more than just preparing for the next sermon or spending time in quiet. Both our elders and those who lead other ministries here at Beacon, they have families. A number of them are working jobs outside of the church or attending school. At times have had ailments that they have gone through. It is not easy. And yes, they, they are not serving to perhaps please man, to, to, to look good in front of everyone. That's true. But Beacon, what are some ways that we can show that we appreciate and value their faithful efforts? Now, I'll say that you, you don't have to do anything extravagant. We don't have to give them fancy gifts or anything, and we don't have to do anything weird or over the top, but even as simple as praying regularly for our leaders and being willing and able to show care for them when the opportunity arises, even that can make a big difference. Even that can encourage them. Both those tasks, though, Take being willing and able to get to know your pastors, to get to know their families, to know ways that you can pray for them, ways that they struggle, ways that you can care for them. It takes getting to know them as they mutually seek to get to know you and to care for you. 
Paul continued with a call to be at peace among your fellow church members. To avoid the common temptation to perhaps alienate or withdraw your affection and concern just because maybe you're going through a rough time or you just don't feel like being around people. To, to seek to get to know them even more, even when it's difficult. This includes both the church leaders and those in the, the general church community. This piece is a, a mutual upbuilding as you seek ways to encourage each other in Christ. This, this is a piece that is a part of Christ-like love. But if, let's say, the pastors are individuals who are easy to live peacefully with, Paul then continued by mentioning four groups of people who, who may not be as easy to live in peace with. The apostle continued with a call to admonish the idol. By idol, Paul is not referring to someone who perhaps just needs a season of rest or just needs a short break. And as if to perhaps help us better understand what he means by this word, the apostle explained it even more detail, in even more detail, in his second letter to the Thessalonian church. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, we read, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Again, Paul mentions this sin of idleness in his letter to his spiritual son, Timothy. First Timothy chapter 5, we read, Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. Paul wasn't referring to those who were unable to work, but those who refused to work or take care of themselves. These were individuals who refused to do things for their benefit and to serve and care for others in the church. The problem is, when they did that, it didn't just affect their spiritual lives, it affected others, leading others to sin by their words and their actions. And so Paul is given a warning for this. Now, what would you expect the apostle to recommend we do to individuals like this? Perhaps what you would expect is that Paul would tell the Thessalonian church to throw those idlers out of there, to just take them and just say, get out of here, you busy bodies, you lazy gossips. You shouldn't even be in here. Perhaps that's what you would expect, but that's not what we see here in the text. Instead, he encourages church members to actively engage in teaching and correcting this group. 
like the concerned church leaders mentioned in verse 12, the more mature Christians are called to admonish the idlers among them, to provide a right example in godly work so that they could change their ways, they could see the fault in their actions and turn to a better path. It is not an easy task, but we have to know who else is going to be able to speak into the lives of those who need direction than fellow church members who see each other regularly. Who else is going to be able to provide such instruction and care to provide that example other than those here in the local church? In the same vein, who else is close enough to care for church members who are struggling, who are faint-hearted or weak? Earlier in Paul's letter, we've read of how some of the Thessalonians were experiencing great anxiousness because of persecution, great sadness because of sudden deaths in the church of family members, of loved ones, great uncertainty because of the, the, the day of the Lord that Dane preached on last week. Paul wrote to encourage and help those Christians who were suffering, to provide comfort to those who were going in the midst of struggle. Now, during the pandemic, there were varying degrees of worry and anxiety of need, even here at Beacon. Now, what if a less anxious brother started to make fun of or, or despise or discourage a more anxious brother during that time? Would it have been right? No, not at all. In fact, in, in other epistles, including this one, Paul challenges Christians to show grace to others who need comfort, even if you don't share in the same anxiety, worry, or need that they do. Not to take on their anxiousness, but to be willing to provide a word of comfort and kindness to them when the opportunity arises. To be ready to provide support for them when that is needed. And this is different from the idol. You know, there may be individuals who, because of sickness, health concerns, or just because of the season of life, are not able to work. They're not able to do things that they actually truly want to be able to do. And in church, we should endeavor to minister to these Christians as well. When you think about just showing care and comfort, who would be most expected to care for the weary? Who? Should it not be those followers of him who said, come to me, all 
who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Should it not be those individuals? Should it not be us Christians who seek to comfort those who are faint-hearted and weak? Whether idle, faint-hearted, weak, Christians, we must endeavor to show such grace as our Lord and Saviors to our fellow brothers and sisters in need. And as Paul stated, we must be patient with them all. Perhaps patience is the difficult thing. It takes time. It takes not trying to rush progress upon them, but just at times being near being there with them. As you hear those three groups, maybe there's someone that comes to mind to you now that you can show such grace to, such comfort to. If we're honest with ourselves, likely at some point in our lives, we all will or have experienced one of the three struggles that was mentioned in this passage. Brothers and sisters, let us not be like Cain who asked the question, am I my brother's keeper? Let us seek to care for those in need, to be those representation, those examples of Jesus Christ in the life of our local church as we engage with each other. Now, Paul could have stopped there. Perhaps it would have been easier if he did. But instead, he added perhaps the most difficult group to live peacefully with. Verse 15, it reads, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. In his letter, his epistle to the church in Rome, Paul says something similar, a similar principle. Um, in Romans chapter 12, we read, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. The apostle calls believers to apply that desire peacefully even to those who hate or harm us. Living in the peace of God, it means not only seeking to do good to those who do you good, but even seeking the good of those who hate you, who do you wrong. It doesn't mean ignoring the wrong, but it does mean that you seek the best interest of the person who did you wrong, that you seek to, to, to turn, change their trajectory and point them in the right direction. Now, if someone, let's say, committed a crime, what would be good for them, yes, it may be to, to, to make restitution for what that individual has done. But even in doing so, we must seek to an effort to turn that person in the right direction, to let them know of what they did wrong so that they may have the opportunity to repent. 
to tell them about this Lord and Savior who calls sinners and provides salvation for them. Is any of that easy? No. No matter which of the the four groups seeking to do what is good, seeking to provide good to, to any of them is not an easy task. It's challenging. But this is where the gospel comes in. For if in Christ, for if in Christ, by our own efforts, we depended on our salvation, then we probably wouldn't do this. In Christ, we find not just the, the, the inspiration as if these nice tips that we can follow, but the actual ability to seek the good of others. By grace, we know that it was Jesus who showed us kindness, who reached into our lives when we were enemies, when we were the ones who were doing wickedly. It was Jesus who showed us good. And by grace, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to live inside all Christians so that we, too, can have that grace and reminder of the grace as we interact with others. That includes those in the household of faith, but it also includes those who are outside the church as well. I mean, how would it reflect Christ if Christians, if we were only nice or showed care and concern for other Christians? How would that reflect Christ? if those were the only people who we were ever nice to, we ever cared about or showed love to? It wouldn't. As Christians, we are also called to be different than the rest of the world because honestly, if you look out in the world, most people will be nice to those who are part of their group. Most people will seek the good of those who who they're familiar with, who they, they get along with. That's normal, but we are called not to be normal in the view, the eyes of the world. In Christ, we find the strength to love and pray for those who hate us. You may have noticed this, but but Paul's encouragement, it, it imitates Christ in his Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter five, Jesus shared, you have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It is that Christ-like love that encourages us to live peacefully with all people. It is that love that can even enable you to show care and concern to the one who's done you wrong. And it is that Christ-like love that can encourage you to live faithfully in Christ as well. Which brings us to our last set of principles. Encouragement to live faithfully in all circumstances. 
the apostle continued his closing with some quick and powerful reminders of faithful Christian living. He gives three do's and three don'ts. First, the do's. Paul encourages the Thessalonians to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. By rejoicing, this is more than a don't worry, be happy type of statement. It is more than just temporary gladness or, or satisfaction. The apostle is referring to a spiritual joy that all those who have experienced and know Jesus Christ have. That same joy doesn't change with our bank accounts or our health or, or any change in circumstances or situation. It is a joy that wells up in the believer, that reminds us of the truths that we have in Christ. It is that joy that causes a, a, a prodigal Christian who, from years after years of being absent from church fellowship, can come here on a Sunday and during the worship set, raise his hands with joy, knowing that God the Father has not rejected him, God the Father embraces him, saying, welcome back, my beloved son. It is that joy that we all have. And so because of it, we can rejoice always. And it is that joy that reminds us we can also come to the Father in prayer. When Paul says that we can pray without ceasing, and that our prayers should be continual, this is not to say that we shouldn't do anything else but pray. You know, we got to do other things. We eat, we sleep, we, do, we take care of our family members, all those things. That's not what he's saying. But what he is saying, that no obstacle, because of Jesus Christ, no obstacle should be in our way of coming to the Lord in prayer, of lifting our prayers to God the Father. We know because of what Christ has done, when we cry out to the Lord, he does not look upon us as if we are strangers. He doesn't look upon us as if we are enemies. Instead, when we lift up our requests, our sincere requests to the Father, he looks on us as if we are what we are in Christ. We are his beloved children. Christian, that is something to rejoice about, for our prayers are not just, just lifted up unto deaf ears. Our prayers are heard as those who are the beloved. Christian, remember that. We should pray without ceasing, and more, we should continue to pray until our shouts become that of joy and praise. Paul, in other epistles, he, he describes the, the prayer and thanksgiving, the act of prayer and thanksgiving, as almost a, a, a one-two punch that KOs anxiousness. It is, it is a combination that the apostle encourages believers to, to employ in their lives, to make active in their lives. He reminds them to let their prayers, their requests be made known to God. For it is in prayer and thanksgiving that we remember even 
in difficult situations that in Christ, it can't be any worse than when we were slaves to our sin. No matter the circumstance, it cannot be any worse than before Christ came into our lives and provided salvation, rescuing us from sin. Life cannot be any worse than that. And so we can have prayer and thanksgiving, remembering that these three do's, you know, they're, they're more than just helpful habits for Christians to have. Paul describes them as God's will in Christ for us. When these are ever present in our lives, Christian, remember, it is pleasing to God. It is a part of his plan, his gift to you. Remember that. It is similar to the three don'ts that Paul shares. Paul continued with a warning not to quench the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, is described as the helper Christ sent to, to, to encourage, to, to, to just be there to support Christians in their walk. This is a gift meant to enlighten, enliven, and refine the Christian. By enlighten, the Spirit helps to, to shine a light on what is good and what is unhelpful in our lives. By enlivening, the Spirit stokes that fiery joy within us, no matter the circumstance. And by refining, the Spirit shaves off those remnants of sin and immaturity that plague us, even as Christians. We can rejoice, for the Spirit cannot be put out or extinguished. But we can withdraw from that fuel source that comes from being in God's Word, being in fellowship with other believers, and actively being weary of and rejecting sin. Now, if you have memorized the fruits of the Spirit, I think our, our children and Beacon kids have at one point, um, you may notice that Paul lays out each one of them in some form throughout this passage. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We see it in some form throughout this passage that Paul is using to encourage the Thessalonian church and as such encourage us today. Christian, if you are seeing growth in these areas, then rejoice and praise God for what he has done in your life through the Spirit. Continue to pray for the Holy Spirit to, to just fester, to, to foster that good work inside of you. Paul warns here not to hinder what the Helper is doing inside of you by seeking those things that will do you spiritual harm. Paul further warns not to despise prophecies. In a way, this links back to verse 12, as the apostle encourages the Thessalonians to, to esteem those who are called to teach and, and to, to explain, to help the church better understand Scripture. We should value 
the preaching of God's word in our lives. We should value the seeking to understand it better. We should, as Christians, highly regard both the interpretation and the application of Scripture in our lives. So Christians, let us not despise this teaching. On the contrary, let us support it. But let us also not just follow it blindly. You notice in verse 12, Paul writes, but test everything, hold fast what is good. Now on a Sunday morning, no matter who's here up at the pulpit, just hearing the sermon, just even staying awake for the whole thing and writing your notes, that's only a part of the battle. Honestly, the next part is taking this and looking over the passage, remembering the, te- the sermon, going over it and praying about it after the service is done. So no matter who's up in the pulpit, everything that is preached should be tested after the service is done. This is one of the reasons the staff offers free Bibles as a gift for anyone who doesn't have it. After the service, perhaps throughout the week, look at the Bible. If you wrote down some of the passages that that I mentioned, that I referenced here throughout the sermon, don't just take my word for it. Look them up. Go and see. Is that what I said was true? Test it. Pray to the Spirit, pray to God that, that, that by the Spirit you will be able to see what is helpful, what is true, and what is unhelpful. Again, don't just take our word for it. Whoever is preaching, see for it yourself. Test it out. And if after testing you find that the word that was preached is true, then Christian, hold fast to that truth. Let it propel you to good works in Christ. Let it also protect you from that which the world brings to give you harm. The last don't that Paul shared is to abstain from every form of evil. One of the workings of the Spirit is to help us to get better at being able to recognize sin no matter what form or appearance it takes. And the Christian who who hinders the helper's work in his life, who despises the preaching of God's word, who rejects being in Christian fellowship, that Christian is not far from committing sin. So the apostle encourages believers to stay away from that which destroys sin and move towards that which brings life, Christ. Now, Christians, as you hear these principles, some self-reflection, which one do you struggle with the most? Understand by by our efforts, by, by your effort, by my effort, we could not live faithful lives pleasing in God's eyes. We couldn't do it. We might have 
you know, better days, better circumstances where it may seem easier to do what, what seems right, but by our own efforts, we could never stand the test of time. But in Christ, we find the grace that stands firm no matter the situation. Grace that stands true no matter the person. So I have to ask this question that I ask myself, what are you standing on today? If you are standing on the saving work of Jesus Christ, then Christian, be encouraged, for that will uphold you no matter the circumstances. It will uphold you in all situations. So be encouraged, rejoice. If you are not a Christian, you know, I ask the same question. What are you standing on today? I appreciate the words of the song we just sang. On Christ's solid rock I stand. All other grounds are sinking sand. If you are not a Christian, what are you standing on today? Is it sinking sand? The encouragement of the world is one that we all know well. It encourages sin. But the apostles' invitation to you today is here, not just for the believer, but also for the unbeliever. There is a Savior who's overcame sin and death. This Jesus Christ who came to save sinners like you, like me. This Jesus Christ who was able to bring salvation and encouragement to the idle, the faint-hearted, the weak. This is the one who brings goodness, who seeks the good, even from the person who deserves the opposite. It is this Jesus Christ who is able to provide forgiveness for you today. He is available. He is here. And we invite you to come to know about this Jesus. As Dylan shared, if you are interested in interested to hear more about Christ, talk to, to, to a, a Beacon member here today, or contact the Beacon staff. Their email addresses are available in the worship guide or on the church website. We would be happy to tell you more about Jesus and to share more about that with you. A closing can be an encouragement that lasts a lifetime after the final words are said. A part of me feels like it's fitting that, that most of our sermons that we hear usually end with prayer and thanksgiving, an encouraging word to propel us to the rest of the week. And so, as we close, let us pray for what God is doing in the life of this local church and beyond. Let us pray.
Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and each and every day, for we know it brings an opportunity for your continued work in our lives. That as Christians, we can rejoice knowing that because of what you have done, not because of our merit, not because of our efforts, but because of what you have done, your love and grace, salvation has come to those who do not deserve it. And because of that, because of that remembrance of that, we can do two things. One, we can have shouts of praise thanks and thanksgiving, knowing that we are redeemed by your blood. And that foundation is a lasting one. But also, Lord, we know that by your grace, we are propelled and, and desire to share that goodness with others, Lord. So that whether a person is kind to us or not, we seek for them to know of this Jesus Christ, to know that there is a Savior who can reach into the lives of sinners, to pull them out of the enslavement of sin and into the marvelous light that comes from being in relationship with you, O Lord. Father, we thank you for it, and we pray that you would, by the Spirit, continue to foster that fire to, to reach out to not just the, the world, the, the, those here in Belmont, but expand it out to the nations of this truth so that as you tell us will happen, that the nations will praise your name together. And so, Father, we thank you for this word, this encouraging word that the Apostle Paul wrote to, by your grace, by your inspiration to the church in Thessalonica, and, is that, and it is powerful today for us here in Belmont. And so we lift up all these things. We thank you for this time in prayer. We thank you for the time in worship through song. We lift up all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.